0: I'm not sure what pastor or teacher introduced when I'm about to present to you and what's on the screen behind me. There's been slight modifications, maybe in a word that's chosen. But did you know you can sum up the entire message of the Bible with just four words? Now, of course, an explanation of these words, it's essential for understanding. But the message of God's word to us from Genesis to Revelation It can be summed up in these four words or concepts behind me. This is important for Christians to know. Um, I I know we went through the three circles method of sharing the gospel. And um, all of these are included in that uh, form of presenting the gospel. Uh, This is what's called a meta narrative, like big picture. And that's important too because God's word provides us um, with this meta narrative this, this big picture, this one story history is what it is um, now our culture says that there isn't one, there's not one that's universal, that's what would be taught probably in most universities um, whether it's a philosophy or ethics class uh, they would say no, there's not one that applies to everybody, but because this one comes from God's word, does it apply to everybody? Yes. It applies to everybody Every single person. Um, The Bible's meta-narrative is my meta-narrative. It's yours. And um, it's a description of life that applies to every single human being throughout all of history and even today. So um, these four words are concepts. First of all, creation. Then fall. And redemption. And finally, restoration. Restoration. And Psalm 85 presents to us the requirements uh, for restoration. Now I've got the Wednesday night crew here, so I don't think I need to go into detail, nor do we have the time to go into detail about all of these. But this is what is presented in God's word from Genesis to Revelation. Um, You know that God created this world perfect, right? That's what Genesis 1 says, Genesis 2. Um, And when he did that, in his sovereignty, God gave the apex of his creation. It's us. One's made in his image. Only one's made in his image. He gave us, in his sovereignty, uh, free will. We could choose to obey him, and we could choose to disobey him. And, of course, we know what choice was made because of number two there. In the fall, uh, we chose to disobey. And not just man, but the entire universe was negatively affected by our choice. Worse yet, there was absolutely nothing that we could do about our demise, our self-inflicted demise. It it would take something way more powerful than us, uh, the plan of God to redeem us. It would take someone way more powerful than us, God's son, God himself, Jesus Christ, would have to take on the penalty for our sins in order to secure our redemption. And by God's grace and through faith, in the person and work of Jesus Christ for us, well, we can experience restoration through his redemption. And that's the one I want to focus on here tonight because that's the one that Psalm 85 really focuses on. Too often when uh, we as Christians think of restoration, and it's up there, right? Um, I'm glad Tommy put an earth back there, but we see the clouds. And and a lot of times when we think of restoration, um, we only think of the future, Like heaven, millennium, new heaven, new earth. And that's not incorrect. Um, I mean, that's the full and final restoration that all those who have trusted in Christ as Savior will experience at Christ's return. But number four there, restoration, it began as soon as number three was complete. There's initial aspects that began. And yes, I mean, we can only experience that in part in this uh, still sin sick Um, still fallen world but we can't experience it we can't experience restoration Um, after all our relationship with God the Father has been restored by our faith in God the Son And, and we are new creations right after we trust Christ as Savior we have new affections we're to have new aversions things that we didn't used to love now we love things that we used to love now we hate and um We're to take this message of restoration. We're to take this hope to this still sin sick, still fallen world. So that others might experience the restoration that God offers us in Jesus Christ. Let's read Psalm 85. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin, Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. And turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thy anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, so that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord. Grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase, Righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps. Before we study this, let's go to the Lord in prayer once more. Father, as we come to your word, um, especially right now, this week, uh, we were vividly reminded recently about the fall. That we live in a fallen world uh, that's sin sick, that has rejected you in many ways has shaken their fist at you. People who have said that they want nothing to do with you. People who have said that they are who they are instead of who you have created them to be. And people who have no regard for life that you give. And God, we would lose hope if we didn't know this made a narrative. If we didn't know this message that you have given to us in your life transforming word. We would have no hope. But we have forgiven sin. We have redemption. And because of that, we have restoration. And God, we look forward to that day when that restoration is full and complete. Until then, I pray that you would use us to bring hope to people who don't have it right now, to lead them to the restoration that's found only in Jesus Christ. Until you call us home, until you return for us and we receive our full and final reward we look forward to that day I pray that you'd keep it on our hearts and in our gaze in Jesus name amen so verses one to three I mean it's really talking about forgiven sin there isn't it Um, and that is a prerequisite for restoration verse 1 begins this prayer song to God with gratitude filled praise for his being favorable to his people that he's good he's good to us is God good he is and there's no greater evidence of God's goodness to us than in what he did to take care of number two there of, of the fall by securing our redemption through our sins being forgiven That can only happen in Jesus Christ. When you read the words there in verse 1, land and Jacob, well this leaves out no single person who is his. That forgiven sin applies to all. It extends to all who are his for us in Jesus Christ and what Jesus made possible. Forgiven sin. Having our sins forgiven. Church, that's a necessary prerequisite for any kind of restoration that God provides us and that we will ever experience. In verse 2, it speaks of our forgiven or covered sin. When we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, then it asks us to dwell on it. Look at verse 2 again. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Selah. That term we find in the Psalms that say don't go to the next verse just yet. It's a musical pause. Meditate on what was just presented there. It's beautiful and it's life changing. Why is it necessary? Because God is not only uh, a God who is full of love and full of grace and full of mercy. He is all of that. but He's also holy, right? He's perfect. Without any kind of sin. When you read the angels worshiping God in heaven... What is their song? What are the lyrics? Holy, holy, holy. Doesn't mean he's not loving, loving, loving. Doesn't mean he's not gracious, gracious, gracious. The rest of scripture tells us those are parts of him too. But he's holy, holy, holy. More than anything else. And that is how he made all of his creation. It was perfect. It was good. It was without sin. And that is his command. First Peter 1:16 says that in quoting Leviticus 11:44, his expectation is that everyone that he has created would be holy, holy, holy for I am holy. But we're not, are we? We're not holy. Um, and so we can never get to number 4 on, on our own. We can never experience restoration without number 3. Redemption is needed to take care of what happened in the fall, to take care of our sin problem. Colossians 2.20 tells us that through Jesus, God reconciled to himself all things, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so that peace with God, that restoration to a relationship with God, that Christ shed blood provides for us through our faith, that's a beautiful thing for us. It's the gospel. Gospel means good news. It's literally good news. Because without it, we have no peace with God. In verse 3 here, it tells us that in sin forgiven, God has taken away his wrath. And um, he's turned himself away from the fierceness of his anger toward us. And it's this holiness that demands that he be wrathful and angry toward sinners who arrogantly rebel against him. Outside of Jesus Christ, that is your relationship with God. Recipients of his wrath. And anger, but in Christ, we've been restored to a relationship of peace through sin forgiven. That's the focus of verses one to three, that that God offers us completely forgiven sin in Jesus Christ. It's also a perfect removal. As much as I'm thankful for the reality that I can be restored to a relationship with God uh, through faith in what Christ shed blood did that it paid the penalty that was due me for my sins I'm even more thankful that it's a perfect removal Um, there is not much I do that is perfect that's probably not a surprise to most of you especially my wife Um, but the removal of my sin the removal of my guilt by Jesus Christ is perfect and if you've trusted him as savior yours is as well Uh, Would you look at just a few words here in verses 1 through 3? I got the King James. Two times in verse 1, it says hast. Two times in verse 2, it says hast. Two times in verse 3, it says hast. Um, It's perfect. And I like the King James here, hast, just because um, maybe modern translations, they might say has or something like that. That T at the end of the hast. um, I think it gets closer to the Hebrew in my estimation. Because the Hebrew, the verb tense for that helper verb, that, that he has been favorable, and that he has brought back, and that he has forgiven, and that he has covered, and that he has taken away all his wrath, and he has turned himself away from the fierceness of his anger. That little helper verb has, to, the tense is the perfect tense. I mean, it's completed. It's completed. One that Jesus' very last words on the cross. To tell us die. It is finished. It's completed. You mean all my sins are gone? Yes. All of them. Everything I've done? Yeah. No exceptions. There's no little asterisks. you got to flip the back page and check. All of them. Including the sins that you haven't done yet. That's a perfect removal. I mean, tomorrow you very well may follow the devices and desires of your own heart. And you may fail to do what God has commanded you to do. Or you might do what he's commanded you not to do. Do you understand that that sin has been paid for already? That sin that you might do next week or next year. It, um, now if that happens, you need to confess that sin. You need to repent of it. But when you do, it will be forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did. Just as if you have never done it. Just as if you never will. That's the justification that we have in Christ. God says in Psalm one hundred three twelve, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And God tells us in Isaiah 43, 25, I, yes, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I remember your sins no more. Isn't that your greatest comfort to know that when God called you to trust in Jesus as your savior and you said, yes, Lord, please save me, that he already knew about the sins that you would commit the very next day after you were born again. Our forgiven sin, it is a perfect removal. Of verses four through nine. Here's a second requirement for restoration. Full satisfaction. And in verses 4 to 7, we learn of a necessary correlation here. The blessings of restoration, they begin the very moment that you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. As soon as you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, as soon as you're born again, uh, yeah, they're still, they're in part. The blessings here and now while we're on earth are still in part. Uh, We await the full restoration blessings. I can't wait for that day. No more pain. No more sin. No more mass shootings. No more insanity. No more death. Glorified bodies. Can't wait for that day. But we have so many blessings of the restoration even now. You have a restored relationship with God. You didn't have that before you trusted Christ as Savior. You have the ability to go to Him and speak to Him in prayer. You did not have that before you trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. That prayer to receive him was the first prayer that he heard. The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, makes intercession of those prayers. Yet you have the capability to understand his word. Every single one of us, with the Holy Spirit in us, he, he has a ministry of illuminating God's word to us. We have the restoration blessing of being part of a new community right here, a new family, the church of Jesus Christ. But still too often we are tempted, and then we yield to that temptation, to seek satisfaction outside of our restoration or outside of Christ. And it's then that we must pray what David prays here in verses four through six. He says, Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thy anger to all generations? Won't you revive us again, so that the people may rejoice in thee? We want revival. And I can schedule revival meetings. I can arrange for some evangelist or other speaker to come in for a few days and deliver God's word to us. But a couple of things, really, they need to happen first before we're going to actually experience revival. You can go through all that planning. First of all, people have to literally want revival. <laughs> they have to want God to wake them up. To the blessings of a restored alive relationship with him. And secondly. well, God has to deliver it. You can't manufacture it on your own. Now, now he will because God wants that. There's nothing he wants more. But it's the work of God. In the life of those who want it. Who pray for it. Like David does here in verse 6. Won't you revive us again? That thy people may rejoice in thee. And so when we want it bad enough that we're willing to forego and turn away from inadequate sources of satisfaction in this life and instead lean wholly on the Lord to satisfy us, when that occurs, we will rejoice in Him. And I would say that it's not only rejoicing in Him, it's not only an effect of experiencing a revival, it's also a significant, maybe even primary cause of it. You know, God brings us to life when we are saved. That's how scripture presents it. He quickens us. Ephesians 2 talks about him bringing us to spiritual life. But our sense or our experience of that life, it can ebb and flow when we begin rejoicing in other things, rejoicing in other inadequate sources of satisfaction. So Christian, please understand there's a necessary correlation between rejoicing in God, experiencing revival... And truly living in this restoration that God has provided for us in Jesus Christ. Verses 8 and 9, they talk about a a necessary conduit for us uh, having a full satisfaction in Christ. How do we keep keep our joy like it talks about at the end of verse 6? How do we keep our joy, our full satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone? Well, we do what verse 8 says to do. I will hear what God has to speak. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. How does he speak to us? It's his word. That's how he speaks to you. Now, yeah, there are times he leads us and guides us. Open doors. Maybe closed doors. There are times he leads and guides us by uh, giving us a burden or a passion or a love or putting some thought in our head. But it's very important that we understand because all of those things exist Open doors, closed doors, thoughts in our head, desires in our heart. Because all those things exist in a, in a still fallen world. And we as Christians still battle an old sin nature. It is essential that we always check them against the infallible, completely sufficient word of God. There's been times in my life I felt like God wanted me to do this. I was excited about it. Then I came across scripture. That's, that's, that's not the way to go. Or it's not the way to go yet. He leads us through his word. Do you want to hear God speak? Read his word. Do you want to hear him speak audibly? Read it out loud. This is how God speaks to you. You can guarantee this is his message to you. Other things he might be talking to you, check it against his word. This is infallible. This is completely sufficient for you and I. Verse 9 reminds us that his salvation and the restorative benefits of living in it. They are near to those who fear him. Those who stay in close contact and communication. Those who have a reverence for him. So a fear of the Lord is also a necessary conduit to remain fully satisfied in Jesus. Not being frightened by him, but a joyful submission to his will for my life. And we need to scrutinize some footsteps Jesus' footsteps. We get some features of Christ coming here in verses 10 through 12. They describe the effects of uh, number four. The effects of restoration. And not just for us, but for the whole world, for the whole universe. That's what Christ did on the cross. Uh, Verse 10 is is one I've referenced before, typically I think over the past three years at Christmas, because uh, it speaks of Christ's first advent, his first coming. This is when mercy and truth met together. This is when righteousness and peace kissed each other. When God came down in human form. Was he merciful? Was he God's truth? So many times those things seem to be like, a little bit opposite. A righteousness and peace. They met in Jesus Christ. They embraced in, in Jesus Christ. When he first came here. And while verse 11. I think it's primarily talking about his second coming. I can't help but read. About. Truth springing out from the ground. And not thinking of Easter morning. The truth spring out from the ground that day sprung from the earth (laughs) but I believe it belongs with verses 11 to 12 and it's primarily referring to the second coming what life is going to be like for us when we have full restoration in that millennial reign after Christ's second coming when he reigns for a thousand years and we reign with him truth will be springing out of the ground there'll be no more lies there'll be no more fake news there'll be no more disinformation just truth just holiness just peace just righteousness. That's what's ahead for us. And they do have to do more with a second coming than the first. This is where we are headed. And, and this, in times when we're uh, tempted to be despondent over what's going on in this fallen world, especially in among those who haven't experienced his redemption, this is what we have to set our hope on. This is what God tells us over and over in the New Testament to, Set our minds on. Since you have been risen with Christ. Colossians 3.1. Set your mind on things above. where Christ is. Seat at the right hand of God. You're hidden with him. You're hidden with Christ in God. Over and over we're told to keep our, our focus on our full restoration. We've been told that in, in Hebrews repeatedly. A millennium after Christ's second coming is described in verse 12, as a time when our land shall yield her increase, a curse is removed. We sing about that. We think it's a Christmas song, Joy to the World. That's my favorite one, but it's really not a Christmas song. It's a second coming song. No more let sin or sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings known, Far as the curse is found, a curse will be broken. At Christ's return, when we experience this full restoration. Hey, I look forward to growing a garden with no weeds and a lot less sweat on my brow. I do. I got Jennifer here, got a good science teacher. Entropy, that, that scientific term for uh, the state of decay that the entire universe is in right now. It is not getting better and better. I'm sure that's not news to you after this week. This world is not, and it won't get better and better until Christ returns. But entropy will be overturned. We're all, the land will give its increase. We'll all be able to grow blue ribbon state fair winning crops. Like Eden. Curse removed. It's difficult for us to completely understand this full and complete restoration. I mean there's plenty of scriptures that teach about it. It's described pretty briefly, concisely here in verses 11 through 12. Um, the Holy Spirit within us, uh, the church, prayer, understanding God's word, other features of our new life in Christ now, those are only small glimpses, just little foretastes of the full and final restoration that is ahead for us to experience forever when Jesus Christ returns. L- listen to this hope-filled promise from God through the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 1. For I consider, or I reckon, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, they're not even worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. In verse 22, he says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And God has Paul say until now. Not until that day. He says until now. Well, what had happened just prior to Paul writing until now in Romans 8.21? Jesus Christ had just died. Redemption. He rose from the grave. That's what just had happened. So, yeah, all things, the whole creation was groaning and travailing and pain together until now. And it still is. But There's been a massive change of that cross and that empty tomb. And people who trust in Jesus Christ and receive new life and receive eternal life, they're already experiencing the benefits of restoration. Here's what's ahead for us at the second coming of Jesus for us. Romans 8.21 says, The creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So you and I? Yeah. No more sin, no more death, no more pain. But not just you and I says the creature there I don't think that's talking about any of you usually there's a different term for humans for Christians but even the the creature will be delivered all of creation will be delivered from corruption to eternal life when Christ returns and while we await for that day while we hope for that day while we look forward to that day of full restoration our role here now is to be following in his footsteps verse 13 says righteousness shall go before him And shall set us in the way of his steps. We're to live as Jesus did. We're to walk where he walked. We're to say what he said. We're to love like he loved. Now when when he returns, we will be perfectly walking in the way of his steps. But because we have the benefits of restoration already... With the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we do not need to wait. We have the capability to say no to sin and say yes to Jesus right now. Uh, the chains that had imprisoned us for you know sin has been broken. We can obey Him. We have the empowered capability to go in the way of His steps even right now. Probably decades ago, uh, I don't know. It's probably the 90s if I remember right. They, uh, there was like this craze in American Christianity you remember the whole WWJD yeah um, I mean you go into any Lifeway or Christian bookstore um, and half the store was WWJD books or what would Jesus do coffee mugs or stickers and all kinds of stuff bracelets and I, I like those bracelets I think I had one. Um but God's a good bit more concerned with our behavior than he is with a message on a bracelet. I mean, that's, that's a good uh, question. What would Jesus do? We should ask ourselves that all the time if, if we're going to follow in his footsteps. And that's what being a disciple of Jesus is. We are going to follow him. But we have the answer, don't we? What would Jesus do? Where do we find that answer? God's word. God's word. I mean, it's right here. And, and it's living in the answer. The restoration that he's already started for us and provided for us. And one day will fully and finally. That's the answer to that question. I encourage you in days like we've just experienced and uh, go to his word. Go to his word. It will not fail you. It's infallible. It has, every, has an answer for every single question. It has the answer for why. It does. Do you want to know why? Why what happened yesterday happened? It's number two behind me. That's why. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world where people reject God and do what they want to. And because of that, terrible things happen been happening since genesis 3 and we're not for the grace of god that could have been us could have been us but we've been redeemed (laughs) we've been redeemed you need to point people to this people who don't have the hope they'll ask you why it might be on social media might be at work i want to know why point people to this made a (laughs) narrative That's not how he made the world. He made it perfect. But in his sovereignty, he gave us free will. We can obey him or we can't. And we decided not to. But there's hope. There's such great hope. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we can experience restoration. That's the message this world needs right now. To know that there can be restoration, that there's restoration that is ahead. Have your sins been forgiven? They have. That's what verses one through three said. Well, then live in the freeing power of Christ's redemption. Do you find full satisfaction in Him? That's what verses four through nine we're talking about. This world will call to you over and over again, and they will say, "Satisfaction's over here. Satisfaction's over there." Listen, there's a 100% perfect track record of that never being the case. Never, never. What does David say in Psalm 16:11? That's our purpose verse here at Dublin First Baptist Church. What are we here for? We're here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In Psalm 1611, David says, You will show me the path of life. That's right here. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures forever. Now, does that mean just when we get there and experience it fully and finally? Who's at God's right hand? Right now. Jesus Christ. In your presence is fullness of joy. Are you, is God's presence with you right now? Yeah. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, you have the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ living in you. At your right hand are pleasures forever. Why look for satisfaction elsewhere? Are your Redeemer's footsteps scrutinized by you? Do you ask yourself that? What would Jesus do? More importantly, do you act on the answer? Do you walk in his steps? If you veered off course confess, repent, get back on track tonight. Give people the hope of sins forgiven. Message of verses 1 through 3. That's ours in the redemption of Jesus Christ so we can experience restoration.